I don't know if anyone is like me in the house tonight, but I do this thing kind of periodically throughout my life where I convince myself that I'm going to get into this new hobby or this new thing, and uh, I end up hating it. I don't know, has, any, has that ever happened to anyone before? Okay, uh, so it's happened to me a couple of times. This first one's going to uh, kind of make a few of the guys upset at me, but Fortnite, man, like I tried to like Fortnite. Um, I really did. I would play with my friends. I played with some of you. Tomo brought me to my like only squad victory. I didn't fire a single shot. I, I really hated it. I did not want to play it at all. Another one for me was black coffee. I thought it was so cool, to, those people who drink black coffee, man. And, and they, like, they get the notes of the hazelnut and the, and the raspberry tart, man. And so I work at Starbucks. So I was like, I'm going to get into black coffee. And I would take a sip and spit it out and then drown it in French vanilla cream. Or like, I ne- every time I try, I never end up liking black coffee. One that's uh, pretty, pretty embarrassing for me, one of the more embarrassing stories of my life, which, side note, I don't know why, I, maybe I hate myself like, uh, like Gerald and uh, Anthony, uh, because uh, I, I come up here and I tell you the most embarrassing stories from my life, but uh, when I was in high school, I thought I was going to get into something really, really stupid. Like, I was convinced I found my new hobby, and it was, wait for it, hot yoga. All right, and you can laugh because it's ridiculous. I was a senior in high school, and like pretty much every other stupid thing that I did in high school, it was for a girl. So I was talking to this girl, and she was really into hot yoga. And, you know, we're talking. I don't know if she likes me, uh, but I like her, so I want to figure out a way to hang out with her. So uh, we're talking, and I'm being a guy. So I'm like, oh, you like hot yoga. That's super interesting. Wow, that's so cool. And so eventually she invites me to go to hot yoga with her. And I'm like, yes, this is my in. I'm going to go. I'm going to love it. The wheels start turning in my head. I'm like, this is my new hobby. I am going to go to hot yoga with this girl all the time. And one day, we will tell our kids all about hot yoga. And so I am going there, and this ended up being one of the worst experiences of my life. And, and this just goes to say, all my friends told me not to go. Like, if you ask Anthony about this, he was sitting in class with me like the, that day, saying, like, dude, don't go. You're going to hate it. It's not cool. Uh, you're kind of a loser for doing it. Like, don't go. And I was like, you make some good points. But I'm going to go. And so I go, and I'm paying for the hot yoga, and uh, the lady tries to start to kind of coerce me into buying the trial membership. And I worked at Island Rock, and so, man, I knew these tactics of these salespeople. They're like, you know, if you buy the trial, it'll cost you less over time. And I'm like, lady, I know these tricks. And then I went, and I bought it anyway (laughs) because I'm an idiot. (laughs) And so I, I, I walk into the room, and I don't know if you knew this, about hot yoga, but it's hot. And so I walk into the room and get hit with like this wall of sweat. I am drenched head to toe. And I would tell you that this was like the longest hour of my life, but to be completely honest, I think I blacked out and I remember about three minutes of the class. And I'm going to demonstrate to you those three minutes. So I get there and I have my water And I get on the mat, and I'm trying and failing to do these moves, right? And then at a certain point, I kind of just went fetal, (laughs) like this. And then I grabbed my water, opened it, and poured the entire bottle on my head. And then I opened my mouth, 
and just tried to get some of it in, and it was all over my body. At that point, the yoga instructor basically stops teaching the class because she is very, very worried for my well-being. So she goes over to the door and opens up the door to the parking lot where 20-degree February weather rushes through the room, and now it's warm yoga. And all the other yoga people there are looking at me really mad because they signed up for hot yoga, not warm yoga. So now the instructor is worried about me. All the people in the room hate me. The girl that I was with is so embarrassed by me. And I'm writing my last will and testament out on the yoga mat, like ready to die. And then that's all I remember. Somehow I got home. I don't know how. And, and, the, and the point is that I will never, ever, 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 ever do hot yoga ever again. Like, no matter how hard you tried to convince me, no matter what you did to try and get me there, I will never like it. And in the matter of minutes, I went from thinking I was going to love hot yoga to knowing that I hate hot yoga. And the reason I tell you this story is because I think that sometimes we do this with people in our lives. Man, I think we go through life and there are people who are just really difficult to get along with, really difficult to love And um, we just have a hard time liking them. No matter how hard we try, we just realize that some people are really hard to love. There was a guy that I lived with when I was in college. He lived in the room across from mine. And we were just at each other's throats. Man, I'll admit it to you, um, I hated this guy. And he hated me. And we would talk bad about each other behind each other's back. And and we tried to get along like we lived together. So we would try to hang out and grab lunch and and mend those uh, and and mend bridges. And it just wouldn't work. And so we would go back to hating each other. And it was just like, it was just really hard to love this guy. And I think uh, most of you probably understand what I'm talking about. Like maybe there are people in your life who are just really hard to love. And I know we're at church and we're not supposed to say that because we're supposed to love everybody. But the truth is maybe that there's someone who hurt you. Maybe you've been hurt here tonight and you just feel like uh, there are wounds that are open and there are trusts that have been broken. And man, it's just really hard to love that person. Maybe you're here and, and there are just people at your school and they, they didn't do anything to you, but you just know they're bad news. And so from a distance, you judge them and, and you, you just wish bad things on them because you know that, that they're up to no good. Maybe there are people in your house, in your family. Maybe your parents have just broken that trust with you. Maybe they're just not being good parents to you. And so it's really hard for you to love them right now. Or maybe your siblings Or maybe you're listening to everything that's going on in the news and in the media and you're on social media and you hear your your family arguing at Christmas about politics and so you think, oh, I'm supposed to hate uh, people on the other side or if someone believes this, I'm supposed to hate them for that or if, if they believe that, I'm supposed to hate that. And so maybe you're walking through life, maybe you're walking into this room with this like hidden list in your heart of people, groups, and individuals who you just hate or you just can't find the strength in you to love and you just have these unlovable people in your life. And, and I really think that this is a make or break thing for us as a youth group. Like if we walk into this room and there are people here that we just categorize as unlovable, that we just cast them off to the side, that that there are divisions among us, then I really think all of this is in vain. We're failing as a youth group. Like the worship, the message, we can pack it up because I think that if we do that, if we are not unified, then we're failing. 
Like Joey preached on night one in September that we are a family here. And if people are walking into this room and they're feeling unlovable, then we're failing. And I'm not trying to come at you because the truth is, I know that some of your parents don't get this. I know that there are adults in, in this church, in, on this island, in this country that don't get that. Like there are adults who walk around hating people for their religion. There are adults who walk around hating people for the color of their skin or the political party. And I get that I could be preaching this to adults, but the truth is, anytime I get an opportunity to preach to you guys, I'm going to bring you something that is probably past your age because I want you to leave here as leaders. I want you to leave here more mature than your friends. I want you to graduate one day and leave your friends in college and young adulthood because you heard truth that maybe your parents need but I'm giving it to you now. And so I want to challenge you tonight that, that we are failing if we have unlovable people in our lives. If you're here tonight and you're uh, not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm really glad you're here and I think that you probably uh, understand what I'm talking about. But I think maybe you've also felt on the other side of the issue. Like maybe you felt like you were unlovable. Maybe you faced hypocritical Christians who have hurt you and you've thought to yourself, I thought Christians were supposed to love people. Meanwhile, I feel hated. Maybe you've come to this place and you've actually felt cast aside and you felt like, man, I don't want to be here. I want to go home. And if that's you tonight, uh, I want you to walk out of here knowing two things are true. Man, I want you to know that there is a God who loves you more than anyone could love anything. That there is a God who, who gave it all to have you because he wants you. And I, the second thing I need you to walk out of here knowing tonight is that this place is a family. And, and families are dysfunctional and families have problems. But this place is a place where you can be safe and at home. And this place is a family. So tonight we're going to be continuing our look in the book of Jonah. And uh, last week, Anthony took us through um, chapter one, and we're going to be finishing off the book tonight. And before we kind of get into that, I have a pretty deep theological existential question for you. So are you ready for that? Has anyone here ever watched The Office? A few, even clips on YouTube, like any little bit, uh, even if you haven't, I'm glad a lot of you have, uh, but even if you haven't, you should be able to track with me here. So The Office is this like really weird out there comedy, and one of the things that makes it really weird is the way that they actually filmed it. So they filmed it to make you feel like you're there. So the, the, the cameras are shaky, and they take like really weird angles like through blinds and through windows because they want you to feel like you're actually there. And then on top of it, they do interviews with the characters to make you feel like you're actually hearing everyone's point of view and perspective and you feel like you're a part of it. And then when they get you in there, that's when they make you really uncomfortable with all the cringe humor. And cringe humor is kind of like when you see something that's funny, but it also is really embarrassing and you kind of feel uncomfortable. And so Michael Scott is kind of like this main character who's known for the cringe humor, right? And Everything he does and says is supposed to make you uncomfortable. And while you're saying, man, that guy is an idiot, you're also supposed to be thinking, there are times in my life where I've thought like that or wanted to say that, but I didn't. But the fact that that guy just did makes me really 
feel bad about myself. And so the office kind of ends up being like this funhouse mirror. Like, you know those mirrors that make you look like really tall or really short, and then you're looking in them, and you're like, man, are my shoulders really light? Is my butt really that big? Like, the funhouse mirrors are supposed to be these big hyperbolic things that show you things that you really don't love about yourself. And, and just to let you know, the office didn't come up with this idea. The Bible was doing this long before the office did. And Jonah is like Michael Scott. As you read through Jonah, you're supposed to think, man, this guy is an idiot. But also, I do that all the time. And I really don't like that I do that all the time. And so maybe you got to do some reflecting over the last week about how God chases the runaway and his love relentlessly pursues runaways. And and maybe you got to reflect on how you run away like Jonah ran away sometimes. And just to let you know, Jonah, if you thought he was bad last week, he gets like 25,000 times worse this week. So just wait for that because that's going to be great. And so just to recap, Jonah was called to go preach to Nineveh. Right, And he hated Nineveh, and we'll talk about that in a second. And instead of going, he runs in the opposite direction. And he kind of keeps making these decisions that bring him to this rock bottom. And it's really cool the way the writer kind of conveys that. He keeps repeating the word down in this really poetic way that shows us that Jonah keeps descending down until he hits rock bottom. So Jonah goes down from Joppa, and then he goes down into the hold of the ship, and then the sailors throw him down overboard into the sea. And finally, he's swallowed down into the belly of the whale, and there he hits rock bottom. And it's from the belly of this fish that he offers this really, really weird prayer in chapter 2. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to read it, but the prayer is weird because he kind of realizes he's at rock bottom. He starts to apologize to God for all the dumb things that he did, but then he doesn't ask for salvation. It's really weird. He's like, God, forgive me because I was an idiot, and I know I was wrong to run away, and I probably shouldn't have done that. So cool, thanks. And then it's like he's kind of content to die in the fish. And you're like, dude, why would you want to die in the belly of a fish? Like, why wouldn't you end that prayer with like, hey, if you can get me out of here, that'd be great. And the reason why, I think, is because Jonah hates Nineveh so much that he'd rather die than go preach there. And this is kind of where I start to almost feel bad for Jonah because I think as Christians in the 21st century, we flip through the book of Jonah and we're like, okay, he runs away and then this and then that. And man, that guy's an idiot. Well, let's uh, go get some Chipotle. And so Jonah kind of gets a bad rap because we don't always realize how bad the Ninevites were. Man, Nineveh uh, was the capital of Assyria. Assyria was the biggest, baddest, worst empire the world had ever seen up until that point. And, and Nineveh was like the crown jewel. It was like the worst city in the worst empire. I mean, these people were seriously evil. They would go to war. They would kill the men, the women, the children. They would take the babies and literally throw them against rocks to kill them. They were rapists and pillagers. I mean, they were the worst of the worst. Like, Jonah wasn't being called to go preach to, like, Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, where there's an elevation on every corner and you're greeted with sweet tea and some barbecue. Like, no, Jonah, this is like being called to go preach to ISIS. And I know that sounds extreme, but in reality, ISIS probably makes these, or these guys probably make ISIS look like a bunch of preschoolers. I mean, these guys were bad. These guys were, were as unlovable as it gets. 
And, and they hated the Israelites, and so I'm sure there was some fear in Jonah, like, if I go there, they're probably just going to kill me, because that's, like, kind of their thing, they just kind of kill people. And then on top of that, like, why wouldn't you hate people like that? Like, why would you want to go preach a message of good news to them? Why would you want to try and bring a faith to them? And everybody in Israel probably felt the same way Jonah did. And, 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 and don't get all high and mighty because the truth is, if you and I were living at that time, we all probably would have hated Jonah too. Or hated Nineveh too. That's just the way it is. And so we're, we're going to pick up, God uh, mercifully gives Jonah another chance. He spits him out of the whale onto shore, and uh, he's going to give him another shot. So we're going to start in chapter 3, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. Then Jonah began to go through the city in one day's walk. He shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, and Nineveh will be destroyed. And so a couple of really important things right off the bat. First of all is that God gives Jonah a second chance. And, and the reason he gives him a second chance is because God doesn't need Jonah to be his messenger. Like, think about it. God doesn't need Jonah. Like, if God wanted, he could just be like, hey, one of you angels, Michael, Gabriel, get over here. Go to the king of Nineveh, scare him a little bit, tell him I'm going to destroy the city if they don't repent. And, uh, you know, it'll probably be all right. And the angel would have gone and done it, and it probably would have gotten done. But God doesn't need to do that. He wants to bring us into his story. He wanted to bring Jonah into the story. And, and what I don't want you to miss tonight is that the reason God gives second chances is because he wants to use us. And there's someone here tonight who feels like they could never be wanted. And it, it's nice to feel needed, but one of the deepest desires we have as human beings is to feel wanted. And I know where you're at. I know what it's like to feel like no one could ever want me. And the truth is, God not only wants you, but after you fall down, he picks you up. And he says, man, you're flawed, you're sinful, you're broken, but I love you, I'm crazy about you, I'm never going to stop giving up on you. It's because our God is the God of second chances. That's just who he is. He doesn't throw you away. He doesn't need you. He wants you. And so Jonah, uh, he takes his second chance and he kind of reluctantly goes to Nineveh. And I say reluctantly because you can kind of tell his heart's not in it. Like you can kind of tell he doesn't want to be there. Uh, the Bible says it takes three days to go see Nineveh. Like, think about Manhattan. Manhattan, only 11 square miles. I know people, ultramarathon runners, who could run around the perimeter of Manhattan in probably a day. But if you want to go see everything that Manhattan has, it's going to take you like a week, week and a half, of just all day, every day. Nineveh, very similar, not a big city. But if you want to see it all, it's going to take you three days. And Jonah does it in one because he doesn't care. He doesn't care about the Ninevites. He doesn't care about obeying God. He's kind of like, well, God spit me out of this whale, so I guess I'll just kind of do the bare minimum. And then on top of that, he preaches like a really lousy eight-word sermon. Like, think about it. Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Like, no message prep, no funny intro story, no application point. Like, homie was not listening to Furtick. He was not listening to Joey Lucci. Like, he did not have his message notes. 
And I don't know how he did it. Like if he walks five steps and then screams those eight words, walks another five steps. Like did he just like pick the hot spots in the city and go there? I don't know. But what the, what the writer wants us to see is that Jonah doesn't care about these people. He cares so little that he's in the city walking the streets with people who are on a collision course for death and hell and he can't bring himself to preach more than an eight-word message that has nothing to do with God and nothing to do with salvation. I don't know if you thought the Bible was a cheerful book tonight, but here we go. So picking back up in verse 5, the people of Nineveh believe God's message and from the greatest to the least they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and the animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly. They must turn from their evil ways, stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will relent and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw that they had done, what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he relented and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. And, and people in Nineveh begin to believe in God in spite of Jonah's really lousy, really lazy preaching. Right? Like he's walking around preaching an eight-word message and people are like getting slain and speaking in tongues. Like that's got to be crazy. And, and the reason it goes to show again that God doesn't need us. Like he can work around us if he has to. He wants to bring us in. Man, I had a, a mentor when I was in uh, college and uh, he was a good friend of mine, and we used to get to do ministry together a lot, and we would go lead small groups together, or he would uh, go speak to a youth group, or he would, we would go lead worship together. And every time we would go do ministry, he would sit me down, and we would pray the same thing. And he would say, God, move through us, not in spite of us. And, and, and to this day, I still pray that every time I'm backstage and I'm about to come out here, no matter what it's for, God move through me, not in spite of me. And the reason is because when God's going to move, he's going to move no matter what. Like, that's a given. When God wants to move, he's going to move. The question is whether or not he's going to move through you or he's going to have to move around you to do what he's doing. And Jonah, out of stubbornness and out of lack of faith, had to be moved around instead of through. And the question is, are we going to obey? Are we going to do what God asks of us? Or are we going to have to get moved around by God? And I'm not going to go into too much detail about the fasting and the burlap and the animals and all that. But what it really goes to show is that um, Jonah, who is supposed to be a servant of God, has less faith than the Ninevites, who are these super unlovable, terrible people. Right? Like, what a contrast. Jonah the prophet, Nineveh, Nineveh the killers. Meanwhile, Nineveh is like fasting and repenting. And Jonah hates them. And, and the writer does the same thing in chapter 1. If you remember on the, on the boat, the sailors are like, hey, call out to your God. Maybe he'll save us. And Jonah's like, no, I'm not going to do that. And it's just show us the contrast of, of where Jonah's hatred and where Jonah's stubbornness has brought him to the point where uh, non-believers look more like a believer than he does. And uh, from here... God is going to 
start to shift the focus away uh, from Nineveh and on to Jonah in chapter 4. And so chapter 4, verse 1. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah. He became very angry, so he complained to the Lord about it. Did I not, or didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this? And Jonah's really stuck in his ways, and it's almost funny. He begins, like, like yelling at God for being, like, nice. Like, he's like, God, I knew you would do this. That's why I didn't want to go. Like, I knew you'd be nice. I knew you'd be compassionate. I knew you'd forgive people. Like, man, just kill me, man. Like, and what a reaction. Like, the guy just wants to die. He's got a death wish or something. And it really just, the reason it's there is to show us that his hate has blinded him. His hate for Nineveh has blinded him. Like, nothing will change his mind. God and him are talking, and he's getting mad at God for being nice, for being merciful. Like, that's supposed to make you laugh. That's supposed to make you think, man, this guy is crazy. And he even says it. Like, he kind of shows his hand, and he's like, that's why I ran away in the first place. I knew you weren't going to destroy them. I knew you would forgive them. That's why I wanted to leave. He was hating him from the very beginning. And he has like this idea stuck in his head about what they deserve. Like he says, like I'd rather die than see them go unpunished. And, and there are some of us here tonight who feel like there are people around us who deserve this judgment or deserve this punishment. And, and we begin to get so stuck in that that it's almost like hard to come out of that. And this is like showing us the logical end of that where, where Jonah like wants to die rather than see something different happen. Like God himself wants to forgive people and Jonah is so stuck in this judging, self-righteous hatred that, that he can't even be talked out of it by God. And then God pushes, it, pushes back on him and he's like, do you have a right to be angry about this? And then uh, it kind of transitions into like one of the weirdest passages in all of scripture. Like, I'm going to be real with you. This passage gets like really weird and it's funny and we're going to laugh a little bit and that's okay. So picking up in verse 5 of chapter 4. Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under. As he waited to see what would happen in the city... And the Lord gave him, or the Lord arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant and so that it withered. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry that this plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Though then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. 
Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And it's a weird passage. Like, one of my favorite verses, God arranged for a worm. Like, that's, you just got to make you chuckle a little bit. Like, but what it's there to show you is that God is sovereign over creation. It's one of the, the forgotten uh, messages in the book of Jonah, is that God has control and rule over creation. Like, that's what that means. Sovereignty is like to control and rule over something. And so God can control nature. He has control over creation. That's why he sends a storm to go disrupt the sailing of Jonah. And then he sends a fish to swallow him but not kill him. And then he sends a leafy plant to give him shade. And then he sends a worm to go eat the plant. And then a scorching east wind to make Jonah uncomfortable. And it all goes to show that God is in control. But it's not just that God is in control. But it's because God is in control that he gets to make the big decisions. Like God gets to make the call of whether or not he forgives Nineveh because he's God, he's sovereign, he's in control. And the point that Jonah could not wrap his head around is that God's sovereignty should lead to our obedience. God's sovereignty should cause a reaction in us that says, God, you're so much more powerful than I am. You're so much greater than I am. I'm so much smaller and and more stupid than you are, God. So will you please just do whatever you want to do, and I will willingly follow you. But that's not what Jonah does. Jonah does the opposite. The other reason that this story is kind of included in this weird thing with the plant and the worm is to show how twisted up Jonah's become in his hate and how twisted up he's become in his, in his uh, lack of love for Nineveh. So, so in Hebrew, the word that they use for Jonah um, like being grateful for the plant literally means that Jonah like loved this plant. Like, like he cared for it. Uh, he like was grateful for it. He had joy in the plant. Like he loved this plant more than you love your family. Like Jonah really loved this plant. And then when it withered away, he was so sad that he wanted to die. Like I don't know if any of you have had like a ficus at home that's died. But I don't know if you ever wanted to die with it. And this guy is so twisted up, and this is what God is trying to show him, is that he's like, man, you are, you are ready to die over a plant. But Nineveh has 120,000 people who, uh, who don't know me, who are heading straight to death and hell, and you want to see them destroyed, but you'll die over a plant. And what's crazy is that's the end of the book. Like, that's how the book ends. It's kind of like this weird cliffhanger. We don't know what happens to Jonah. We don't know how he responds to God. I know my response to God would have been something along the lines of frustration and still trying to wrestle with why uh, such an unlovable, evil people just gets the free pass. But what he needed to grasp, and I think sometimes what we need to grasp, is that God loves the unlovable people. Like, that's just who he is. That's just his nature, is to love unlovable people. And Jonah is really a picture of Israel. Like, when Israel was reading this, they knew that the book was really, like, adding them the whole time. It was like a whole subtweet to Israel. Like, the whole book is reflecting Israel's hatred of their neighbors. 
And Israel knew better than anybody about the grace of God. Like They were led out of Egypt. They were brought into the promised land. Wars were won because of God's grace to them. Yet they decided to be exclusive with it. They decided to try and keep that grace for themselves and hate the people around them. And if we're not careful tonight, the church can be just like that. If we begin to be exclusive, if we begin to have this list of unlovable people, and man, that, that we're trying to keep this grace all to ourselves and hide this grace inside of us and not spread the love and spread the grace of Jesus, we will be just like Jonah. Jonah is just an extreme example of where that goes. And the grace of God doesn't hide inside it. It sends us to love unlovable people. And that's our bottom line tonight. God's grace sends us to love the unlovable. And when you've encountered a God who, who loves unlovable people, that grace will send you to love unlovable people. And make no mistake, you were once unlovable. Some of you still give me a run for my money. I'm kidding. But you and I were sinners the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Whether you are a, a TGR kid or a Ninevite murderer, we have all sinned. We have all fallen short. We all deserve punishment for that. But, the, but Paul in the New Testament says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like, while we were still unlovable, Christ loved us first. He didn't come and say, this is a list of things that you have to do before I die for you. He didn't come and say, this is how you have to act before you can come to me. He said, you're hard to love right now, but I'm bigger than that, and so I'm going to die for you. The very people who hung him on that cross are the very people that he died for. And in Matthew 12, Jesus, in this really cool way, begins to compare himself to Jonah. And he says... Um, for as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. And he's obviously talking about the resurrection. And then a little bit later he says, I am the better Jonah. And what he's saying is everything that Jonah failed to do, Christ would do. Like Jonah ran away from God, but Jesus ran to God. Jonah didn't want to preach to unlovable people, but Jesus lived and dwelled with unlovable people. Jonah wanted to die rather than see unlovable people get saved, but Jesus willingly died so that unlovable people would be saved in his name. And that's the same love that empowers us, that sends us to go love unlovable people. And that's the truth, is that we keep using this word, unlovable. But the truth is, is that no one is unlovable because Christ loved us first. And when you begin to see people the way that God sees people, unlovable people go to being extremely loved, extremely valuable people. And so, Christians in the room, some of us need to get to work tonight. Some of us need to maybe just link up with a leader and pray through some of the hurt that we've experienced. Pray through some of the, the wounds that we have and some of the things that are holding us back from loving people. And maybe devise a plan of, hey, when I go home and my parents are hard to love, this is what I'm going to do. And that looks a lot different for, for you or for another person. It's going to look different for everybody. 
Or maybe you're on the opposite side and maybe you're kind of in that self-righteous spot like Jonah was where you just see people and they're hard to love because you judge them and, and you want to pass uh, judgment and, and uh, you want to get your version of justice from them. And man, when I was writing this message, I began to get convicted. Like, man, I can be like Jonah sometimes. There are people in my life who when I see them screwing up or not doing things the way that I think they should be doing, man, I just start to judge and, 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 and want punishment for them. And when I was writing this, God was working on my heart to begin to see people the way he sees them, see myself as loved through my flaws so I should love other people through their flaws. And maybe that's you tonight. If that's you, I'd love to talk to you afterward. I'd love for you to go get prayer from a leader if that's you. And something I want everyone to be doing is, is to kind of walk out of here and start to see people the way that God sees people. Go from seeing unlovable people, outcasts, to being extremely loved and extremely valued. If we could just do that in this room, I think we go from being a little divided or, or the tension that we sometimes feel to being a tight-knit family. And if you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not a Christian, maybe um, you've felt the other side of things, like I said earlier. Maybe you've felt unlovable. you felt beyond saving. You feel like anytime uh, you try to bring your sins up, all you get is judgment. And so you try to cram them down and hide them. And you feel like everyone is going to judge you for the things that you've done. And so you feel like you are unlovable. And I need you to know tonight that those things are lies. They're not true because you can't be unlovable because you've been loved by Christ first. There is a God who loved you. He gave everything to have you. And so we want to see you set free from some of that pain, set free from that hurt, set free from the sin that you're struggling with. And tonight, if you want to experience that freedom, if you want to accept Jesus into your heart, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in just a second. But guys, it's my heart tonight that we avoid Jonah's mistakes, that we make this place a family, that, that we would be the defining youth group on Long Island, that, that unlovable people or, or people who feel unloved can come into this room and feel accepted and feel safe and feel at home. And that starts with us tonight. And if you're in this room, whether you're a Christian or not, and you feel unlovable, you feel like you are a slave to the pain that you carry every day. I just, I'm begging you right now, come and talk to a leader afterward. Because Joey and myself and all the leaders here, we want to see you find freedom. We so desperately want to see you free from those things. So would you do that after this? You guys can pray with me. God, would you send us to love unlovable people? Would you show us what it means to see people the way that you see people? Would you teach us what that means tonight, Jesus? To see people from unlovable to loved and valued. Would you help us avoid Jonah's mistakes tonight, God? Avoid falling into the pitfalls of, of just judging and, and self-righteousness and hatred. Would you guide us through that? God, would you inspire hearts right now in this moment to maybe get up after this worship song and come get prayer and, and come talk to a leader about some of the stuff that's going on in their lives. 
Would you reassure hearts in this moment, God, that there's no one in this room who is too far gone. There's no one in this room who's fallen too far. There's no one who is unlovable. There is no one who's, who's so far past the love of Christ because the love of you, Jesus, reaches far beyond anywhere where we could go. You chase us in our running, God, and you love the unlovable people. Thank you, Jesus. If you want to experience the love of Jesus, if you want to accept Jesus in your heart tonight, you can just pray something like this. You don't have to pray it out loud. You can just pray it to yourself. God, I don't know everything. I don't know every little detail. But I know that you died for me because you love me and you want me. And I'm tired of running. And I'm tired of feeling like I could never be loved. So God, would you just come into my heart right now? Jesus, would you just come into my heart right now? If you prayed that tonight, I would just love for you to look at me. I'm not going to make you do anything, but I just want to be praying for you this week. God, God, would you do something tonight? Tonight's not over. Would you do something big? Would you speak to the hearts of your children, God? In Jesus' name, amen.